Hi, everyone. I wanted to remind you of a must read. This is a book that you have to have on your bookshelf. It is called The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. He is able to help you make important decisions, give you some guidance on which path to take, and you get to learn how he tapped into the wisdom and power of the unseen worlds for guidance and inspiration. I had the opportunity to interview him, and he was a lovely guest on the Path 11 podcast, episode 343. Check it out. Listen to the podcast. Go buy the book. Again, it's The Necktie and the Jaguar by Carl Greer. To find out more information, go to his website, carlgreer.com. That's spelled C-A-R-L-G-R-E-E-R.com. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by the Reconnective Healing Global Community. I don't know if you guys remember, but back in 2020, we released an episode with Dr. Eric Pearl and Jillian Fleer about reconnective healing. He was a chiropractor who was working in his practice in Los Angeles, and his patients started to report that they were having these healings just with his hands being near them without him actually touching them. So he went on to research and try to find out what this universal wisdom was behind what was happening. And he developed the reconnective healing process. Their website is thereconnection.com and they are offering an online level one class called the portal to awaken your own healing ability and to learn how to do this. There's over eight hours of interactive content where you will learn to interact with energy, light, and information to experience lasting knowingness, peace, and love without limitations. They gave us a coupon code to give to all of our listeners. It is PATH2PORTAL. We're going to put that in the show notes. And that's 25% off of the Portal Online Level 1 course. I hope you guys enjoy. Let me know if you take it. Send me an email. Would love to know how the course works for you. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Path 11 TV Throwback Thursday today. I am going to introduce you to the Chief Executive Officer and Chief Medical Officer at Hospice and Palliative Care in Buffalo, New York, Dr. Christopher Kerr. He was a speaker at the 2018 Afterlife Awareness Conference, and his presentation was amazing. It was on dreams and deathbed visions of the dying. So what he has done is some intensive and extensive end-of-life research experience. And I'm just going to share with you some of the key discoveries that his team had found out when they were conducting this research. So their exploration of the nature and impact of end-of-life experiences has provided them with insight that they are trying to use to bring dignity and comfort to the dying process for their patients and their caregivers. One of the key discoveries is that 88.1% of patients report having at least one end-of-life experience. 99% of these patients report their end-of-life experience as seeming or feeling real, 
and 60.1% of patients felt their dreams were comforting, while 18.8% felt that they were distressing. So what Dr. Kerr did was he interviewed people who were in the end stages of dying and making their transition and interviewing them and really trying to understand what was going on in this process. There has been a book written about this, a documentary with his findings, and Dr. Kerr leads the interdisciplinary hospice and palliative care in Buffalo, a research team with a wide range of research experience and clinical experience in conducting these studies on end of life. Many of the studies have been published in peer-reviewed journals, and a few studies have garnered national attention, appearing in the New York Times, HuffPost, Scientific American Mind and Psychology Today. The team's findings in turn have helped improve care for individuals suffering from serious illness as well as their loved ones. So this clip, it's about an 11-minute clip, he explains a little bit more about the research that he did and also about the very interesting response that the medical community had given him. But the research ended up really getting some national attention. It spread all over and really started to bring his research to the light. He also shares a story with a patient who was actively dying, and her name is Rosemary. And you're going to hear her interview, a piece of her interview that is a part of this documentary. All right, here we go. The reason why I did the work in the studies actually is because I was just enormously pissed off. I was trying to teach this to residents and fellows and they would say to me, because we live in an evidence-based world, that there's no evidence for this, therefore it can't be. And so finally, it's fine, we'll do the study. So I didn't do the study to prove anything to myself, I already knew this was happening, but we did the study. And um, what's interesting is the Study got zero response in the medical community. Not an email, not a text, way to go, uh, <laughs> nothing. And then it hit the popular uh, media or social media or whatever, and it went around the world. And it's been published in China and Ireland and India and whatnot. Subject of a documentary and now a book. And it's not because I'm such a great talk, it's just that the subject resonates with people who've had any proximity to dying. And it also speaks to the issue of the, this horrible paradox between the people who we entrust to give care and those who are experiencing the care. And not just the patient, but their loved ones. So that was it. And, uh, and that's how this kind of fell forward. And um, I'll just start off with by uh, starting with some disclaimers. One of the first things that I got nailed with when I stood up and gave grand rounds and, to medical colleagues, and you would have the same experience if you're talking to family and friends perhaps, is that, well, it's confusion. And it's true that most people going from dying to dead experience changes in cognition. But what's really, really important is the vantage point. You don't judge a book by the cover or the last page. And dying is a process, it's not brink of death we're talking about. We have over 1,400 documented incidents, many of them videotaped. And these are happening months before death. So, I mean, there's enormous inherent growth in this period. And this paradox of dying physically, but growing psychologically, spiritually, whatever life review you want to call it. But there's a hell of a lot going on. And so the vantage point is important. Can we just go to the next slide? 
We'll just, I'm not going to beat this to a pulp, because you're the audience I don't need to beat this to a pulp with. I'm not, and it's really hard to give this talk to, to you, because I'm not in a convincing position. Um, you could probably convince me more than I could convince you. But, you know, delirium is the most common symptom we see, actually. We're called upon to manage uh, hospice. Um, and it's classic. It's disorganized cognition. You're typically agitated, often medicated. You have dis disoriented to your sensorium. You see things. The themes are often frightening. Uh, the content scary, that kind of thing. Whereas this is a completely in contrast to end-of-life um, dreams and visions or subjective experiences. And I'm reluctant to call them dreams, by the way. And I don't know what to call them visions, by the way. Because when we did our first study, um, what we did, and this is what was unique about our work, is we asked patients every day, um, sometimes months before death, all the way to death. And there was quantified, you know, are you experiencing these things? And there were categories you could pick from. Does it provide comfort? You know, da-da-da-da-da. Just trying to, 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 to give this definition. And half the time, people were reporting um, that, uh, that they wasn't happening in sleep. And the thing that, you know, you don't know, is this lucid dreaming? And I'm really, what is important for me to clarify is I'm not into interpreting this. That wasn't what I view as my role. I wanted to translate it. I wanted to say, this is what I see patients' experiences, and then I'm going to tell you about it. I'm not coming from a religious perspective, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just um, the messenger here. But anyways, so, so a lot of the time, they, 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 they say that they're not asleep. And what they tell you universally is this is unlike any other dream I've ever had. So when we ask them to race it on, uh, rate it on a reality scale of 0 to 10, it's 10. That's just the way it is. Um, I'm going to go ahead, and I think we'll go to the first slide. I, what I did, I, I was smart about one thing. The study was simple, by the way. It's not elaborate. But I, I, I knew right away that I was going to be met with a lot of resistance. So there are people, who, particularly who don't deal with dying patients, who are going to have certain connotations or images in their mind frail, old, confused, withered, less than themselves. Oh, you're not good at this. Uh, so, <laughs> so, and, uh, and so, so <laughs> anyways, um, <laughs> you ever heard of the people who have those dreams and all of a sudden they realize they're talking in class, they have no pants on? <laughs> well, mine's that the AV system doesn't work. So, Anyways, um, now I've lost my train of thought. It's your fault. Um, so anyways, no, I knew I had to film them. And so now 1,400 patients later, guess how many patients have said no to being filmed? Zero. Zero. Right. And when I put it through the IRB, the Internal Review Board, to get approval for the study, how much resistance do you think I met? Oh, my God. Because we sterilize dying. You know, we do it medically, but we do it as, as people. We do it with our children to the dying. That's what we do. We say, no, no, no. It's a better thing that they just look up quietly to a white ceiling. And that's what we did. So it took a lot uh, uh, to get them through. Um, and it was one of the play buttons, the one on the left. <laughs> Let's hope we hear this. This is Rosemary. And before, and these are all new videos. I've never actually shown these, except for, I think, one you guys have seen. 
So what I want you to see is obviously that her mind isn't broken. She's not medicated, and she actually has heightened acuity. It's really hard to pinpoint them because they were so real. In all these years, my husband's been dead, and my daughter. And when did your daughter pass? Um, seven years ago. Okay, at the age of 37? Mm-hmm. Okay. And your husband died? 61. 61, okay. I have seen them. Not their face, not their clothes, but I knew it was them. But there was nothing really remarkable yeah. to define that that was Dick or John. But the other night, I fell right into a sleep. We were like sitting at the kitchen table, laughing. I could see their faces. I could tell it was their clothes. We were laughing, we were talking, we were eating. It was like a regular Sunday dinner night. That's wonderful. It is. And then Monday night, the same thing happened. But the same identical thing. We're laughing, we're talking, we're having a ball. How did it make you feel? I woke up Monday morning and I went, was that real? And I said, that was real. That was really real. And were you in your home? Yeah. It was a warm day. Okay. You don't remember a lot of what was said, but you do remember what you felt. Is that right? I don't remember what we talked about. Mm -hmm. But I know that it was stuff that we would talk about in ordinary circumstances, like my brother's job, my job, how John was doing in school, you know, stuff that... Yeah, life. Life. How (laughs) real did the dream seem? Oh, absolutely. It was real. It happened? We were sitting there as much as we were sitting here. Okay. Have you ever had a dream that was that vivid? No. No. That was the most vivid dream. And we hear this a lot, and it's very hard to tell whether it's real or it's a dream. Yeah. It made me feel like that whole 12 years had never existed. 12 years, that's interesting. 12 years since he's been gone. Okay. Because it was so real that it was he was there in the present. And seven years since my daughter was gone. Mm-hmm. It was like we were always together, never separated. Yeah. How does it make you feel um, about the prospect of dying? How does it change with oh, you? I'm not, I'm not afraid of dying. Okay, why I are you? I wasn't afraid of dying the day after my husband died. So you were probably worried about her, that's why. That's okay. why. Okay. So then I you wouldn't have stuck around to tell you the truth. Okay. You must have loved him very much and had a wonderful marriage. We did. Isn't that Just great? Just as mm-hmm. But if it wasn't for my daughter, still being alive, I'd have gone right after my husband. I understand. Yeah. I'd have found a way. That's funny. That's what my mother says. When my father died, she said you know, she would have just ended it, except she had children. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand. Then, after my daughter died, yeah. I didn't want to be here at all. Yeah. And I kept saying, everybody says you have a reason for Everybody says God's not done with you yet. Well, what the hell's he going to do with me? I have no, no one left. He can't keep me like this forever. I'm not 
meant for anything anymore. Hmm. I can't help anybody. Hmm. If you fell down and I had to help you get up, I couldn't help you get up. Right. So you're wondering about your purpose and your meaning. Yeah. Yeah, and what all this means. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does it make you think you're going to see them? Mm -hmm. Okay. If you what? It's when. <laughs> you're worried you're going to end up in the wrong place. I, I have a feeling you're okay. It, it's interesting that you can be in a dying process and at the same time feeling very much alive, right? And that made you feel alive. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. I am sure that just this little bit is making you want to head on over to PAV11 TV. Subscribe, download your app to your phone, to your smart TV. We have all accessibility to be able to do that. And I'm also going to give you a code for 30% off today. The code is TBT for Throwback Thursday and the number 30, TBT30. Go to pap11tv.com. I'd like you to go ahead and sign up. You can subscribe for a month or an annual plan. You'll get 30% off today. And go ahead in the search bar and you can search for Christopher Kerr. He's also in the playlist of the 2018 Afterlife Awareness Conference. And this conference is not going to be up on Path 11 TV for that much longer. So if you really want to listen to the rest of this presentation, please do check it out and use your code TBT30 at path11tv.com. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com, and be sure to use coupon code PODCAST30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path11TV today. Bye for now. <laughs>